Let me know when you're ready. We're good. Let's open with prayer. So, Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for your presence. There's an open heaven, your presence here. And Holy Spirit, as you come to anoint and empower this time and move upon every one of us that are going to be listening to this tonight, I thank you, those watching, those listening, whether it's live or they're going to hear this later in a recorded format, I thank you, Father, by the Spirit of God moving upon us to help us to be good soil of hearts and minds and lives, anointed eyes to see, ears to hear anointed minds to understand hearts to be receptive lord that this the word of god will penetrate into hearts and lord this will go out as living seeds of truth sown into that, to that good soil watered by the holy spirit take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till jesus comes and the winds of your spirit will carry it out among the nations it will get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to because the bible says it will not return void but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it for to do and so the birds of the air will not steal the seed. We take authority as a church, and the enemy in any way would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to go and accomplishing what it's supposed to. It is bound in Jesus' name. You will back off away from it now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for your angels clearing away any hindrance. But, Lord, this will go forth. And we thank you that everything will be accomplished. And through this time of the word together, that's your will to be done in every life. We believe it. We agree together as two, and we expect it now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have an interesting word tonight. Usually I go into series, but I really feel the Lord is saying to me um, just different specific words for River of Life right now and not really doing a series. So there was a particular person that felt that they had a, a word, a prophetic word, and this was really interesting because there's, there's a lot of that out there, you know, and some of it's good and some of it's not. But I felt this particular one was, was really good. And they were saying about the state of Texas that, and this is a person from another country that wouldn't even know. But they were saying in the state of Texas, the Lord showed them that there was some really powerful praying people and that the prayers of God's people coming out of Texas was helping to hold the nation together. And she said that the way that the praying people of God in Texas appeared in, in this dream or whatever God showed her, they were clothed in scarlet, which represented the blood of Jesus. And so with that in mind tonight, I've got a word from the Lord. And I might add this as well, <clears throat> that this person also felt that, and there, there are signs in the heavens. Jesus said this, and, and some people, I guess, never really read it or thought about it. But it says, uh, Jesus said this, that there would be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. It says that. Signs in the heavens, and that there would be distress and things going on in the earth. And then we see that the book of Joel talks about how the moon turned to blood, which is interesting because we've had those blood moons in 2014 and 15, but I, I felt and still do feel that they were significant and you and i both know since that time till now things have changed they're different and then it says and the sun would be turned to darkness which would be like a solar eclipse you know and so there are um all the time there are there are things like eclipses and and things going on okay but sometimes there are signs in the heavens that are from the lord 
And if you're discerning, you can pick up on it. And I'll give you an example of that. Whenever the wise men who were probably spiritually speaking, not physically, biologically, but spiritually speaking, were like sons of Daniel, so to speak, those that were discipled by Daniel, then they passed down knowledge. So the wise men of the East that had been influenced by Daniel, they were looking and they saw a sign in the heavens appear over Bethlehem. And they knew that it was significant enough for them to pack up their camels and start making a journey toward the nation of Israel. And it was based on a sign in the heavens. If you go back and research it, there was actually blood moons connected to Christ and his, his time here. And even on the day he died, there was a solar eclipse of some kind, some type of darkness, which I think also had to do with the sin of the world coming on him. But my point is there's signs. So I say all that to say this. This person really felt that this path today of this solar eclipse started in our, in our Pacific Northwest and came across America, but it went over Texas. And then the one in April, I think on the 8th, if I remember, is going to come the other direction. But it formed an X over Texas, and she felt that, the, that Texas was marked for a revival. Now, if it was just that one person, I'd say, okay, well, that, you know, that's really interesting. Praise God. But we've been praying for revival here in not only Texas but America. But let me tell you, there have been very credible prophecies about Texas. I mean, multiple people, credible people, through the last couple decades that have seen a great revival emerging out of Texas. I'm just telling you, especially Dallas, I've heard some very powerful prophecies. And how many knows when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Even though it may seem delayed, God's still going to do it. And I personally believe that Pastor Ralph was right in this last conference that something has happened during this last fall feast season. We have our annual conference. Something changed. He described it as kind of a birthing. But And he used the story of, of Hezekiah, a very powerful sermon. But anyway, he said that there was something that's changed. It's different, and I believe that to be the case. So with all of that in mind, I'm, I've got a word tonight. I want to show you in Proverbs 31, 21, when it's talking about a godly woman, but it says when it snows. Now keep in mind when this was written, there was not central heat how many appreciate central air and heat? If you live in Texas, let me say this. How many appreciate air conditioning? Amen. <laughs> but there was not the central heat and air like we have today. But she said when it snows, she has no fear for her household because all of them are clothed in scarlet. Now, in the natural, we can understand what that's saying. But in the spiritual, let me say this. Those that are intercessors, that are powerful prayer warriors, when times get difficult, you don't have to be in fear because you bring your family under the blood of the Lamb. And I love this in Psalms 25, verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Let me tell you that the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. But if you want to do a powerful study... Now, with our modern technology, you can look up the places, all the places in the Bible where it says to those that fear the Lord and start writing down all the promises connected to fearing God. And I promise you, you're going to look at all these promises and say to yourself, 
I need to have a healthy fear of God in my life. But to those who fear the Lord, not everybody, he said he will instruct him in the way that he should choose. We need God's wisdom about the direction that we go in life, don't we? His soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. I love this. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And that means God's counsel that we must seek him for and he gives us his counsel, his wisdom. That we don't know what to do. We say, Lord, we need direction. We need understanding. We seek you. And we stand on the promise you grant wisdom to them that ask liberty without finding fault. But if you have a healthy fear of God and you begin to seek the Lord, I promise you the secret of the Lord will come. His counsel. And it is for those who fear him. And the Bible says and that God, he will make them know his covenant. I want you to remember the word covenant tonight. Everybody say covenant. And then verse 15, the Lord says this. My eyes are continually toward, or rather the person says, my eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. How many knows when the devil has laid a snare for you, you want the Lord to deliver you from the snare of the evil one? All of this goes back to the fear of God. Those that will have a healthy fear of the Lord. And one of the things I really try to instill in young people is out of a healthy fear of God that you always honor God and you always put him first. When you wake up in the morning, you give God the first part of your day. Whenever you sit down to eat, you pray to God first and thank him for his provision. Whatever you do in life, you seek God and you put him first and you honor him. Amen. But those that fear the Lord, the Bible says that your soul will abide in prosperity. Your descendants inherit the land. God will give you his secret counsel and he will make known his covenant. And he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, basically, if I could say that. So I'm going to talk about covenant, but I'm going to work my way into it. Where was the first place that the Bible says that God gave Holy Communion? If I was asked that question, just about everybody would say, well, when Jesus had the Passover meal with the disciples and he gave communion, right? I mean, that's what I would have thought too. But if you go back and look at the scriptures, isn't it interesting, the first person that God really truly made a covenant, I'm, I'm talking about after Adam and all of that, okay, he made promises to them of sending a Messiah and, and killed a, an animal for him and all that. But the first person that God really entered into covenant with, who was it? Abraham. And look at this. If you read uh, Genesis chapter 14, Starting with verse 17, it's not in the notes, but I'm going to read it here. It says, then after Abraham, now Abraham had to rescue Lot. Lot had been captured by four kings and their military. How many knows that's a lot of people and that's a lot of danger involved? Abraham had to believe God to take just the men of his household, mind you, his family. There couldn't have been more than a couple hundred people. He had to take them and go defeat four kings and their military who had just conquered all the cities around them. A lot of times people read stuff like this and don't realize how much of a miracle it really is. But Abram returning from the battle victorious. It says this, Then after his return from the defeat of Chedliomer, the king 
who was with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And look at this, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek was a king of Salem, which Salem is Jerusalem, same place. He was the king of Salem, and he was a priest of the Most High God. Uh, Hebrew scholars believe this was actually Shem, the son of Noah, who would still be alive at this time, mind you. But Melchizedek came out. That was his title. Melek is king. Zedek is righteous. He was the king of righteousness. He was the king of the ancient city, Jerusalem. He came out to meet Abraham, and he took out bread and wine, and they took it together. So this is the first reference that we see, a picture and type of Holy Communion. And Melchizedek, it says that he blessed him. He said, blessed uh, be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave, and then Abraham gave a tenth of all that he had. He tithed to Melchizedek. And then look at this. Now, I want to point this out. Abram really honored Melchizedek as a man of God. He honored him so much that he took that covenant meal with him. He submitted to receive a blessing. And then he gave a tenth of everything he had to him. He honored this man. He connected himself to him. But when the king of Sodom, who was a perverted evil man, said to Abram, he said this, just give me the people that you rescued and you can keep all the goods for yourself. He was trying to be nice. But Abram said this to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take even a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for the fear that you would say that I'm the one that made Abram rich. And so he said, I will take nothing from you except what the young men have already eaten and the share of the men who went with me. And he named them. He said, let them take their share. But Abram had to take a stand. Let me tell you, this is so important that people understand this. You can be too nice and you can get yourself in all kinds of spiritual problems. Abraham had to be very kind in all this, but he had to be firm. He was basically saying here, I connect myself with the man of God here. This is my covenant meal. This is where I give my tithe. This is the man that will pray over me. But the king of Sodom, the one over here who, who is perverted, there's sexual immorality, there's perversions, there's evil. I don't connect with you. You take what's yours, I take what's mine. This is where we part ways. You guys need to understand that there are some people you need in your life and there's some people that you need to part ways with. So this was the first reference to Holy Communion in the Bible. And now let's go with me to uh, Matthew 26. And this is where Jesus is celebrating Passover. And those of you that's done a Passover Seder with us here, we go through the Lord's Last Supper as an illustrated sermon together. It's a lot of fun. It's also a lot of fun because we, we get to eat. Amen? And we, we always enjoy this time together. But while we're going through this sermon, people have told me they've learned so much. But out of the Passover table comes the communion table. Jesus took the bread called the afikomen bread in the meal. 
he took the third cup called the goela, which means redemption. And he said, this now represents my body and blood, okay? And I'm going to read it. If you go to Matthew 26 and start with verse 26, it says, while they were eating, because you have to understand in the Passover meal, there's two cups and you go through this ceremony and then there's a break where you have a meal and then you come back and finish it. So after the meal, okay, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it, remember he held it up and he blessed it in Hebrew. He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. Now that's interesting because these disciples were older, all of them were adults, and ever since the time they were little bitty toddlers, they sat at a Passover meal every year, and they went through the same thing, and now all of a sudden Jesus is doing something that's never happened before. And you know as well as I do, when he held up that bread and blessed it and said, this is my body, all of them kind of looked at each other like, where's this thing going? And then when he had taken the cup, again, this was the third cup after the meal called redemption. And he gave thanks, he blessed it in Hebrew, and he said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus had drank the first two cups. There's four total. And then he basically said, Now this cup, I'm giving to you, and this, I'm paraphrasing here, but this is going to be the communion table that will continue on through the next 2,000 years among my people through the generations that they will celebrate what I did for you at the cross. And then whenever we come together one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb, what I started here at this Passover meal and I left unfinished, we're going to come together, all of us, all of my disciples, everybody together at the marriage supper, and we're going to finish this thing together. And that's why he said this. He said, I will not drink this with you until I enter my father's kingdom and we drink it together, basically, is what he's saying. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me, for it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But Jesus gave Holy Communion to us, and it's so powerful. And I'm going to show you some things about the communion table tonight that maybe you haven't considered. I believe that you're probably going to learn some things, even those that's been with me for a while. How many that's been with me for very long realize that the communion table is important to Pastor Scott? I've done a lot of teaching on it, and we've seen a lot of powerful, um, life-changing things through the communion table that have happened. Much of what goes on... I believe goes back to the fact that when we come together to have church, we spend some time at the table of the Lord, make sure everything's right with God, and we reverence the blood of Jesus. But I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to start with verse 14, and I want to show you something. It says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And he says, I speak to you as wise men. You judge what I say is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ. It is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. Since there is one bread, and we who are one body, we all partake of that one bread. Look, look this is so powerful you, if you can grasp this. Grab hold of this tonight. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices sharers in the altar? 
So all of those that came to the temple and brought their animals and there was the peace offering where the priests would do all of this and, and they would eat with the priests. They were, they were eating of the altar and he was saying as all of them together ate in that place, they all shared in that altar. And what he's trying to show you and I is this. There is an ancient blood covenant that began many, many years ago with Abraham and has continued down through the ages to us today and has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, okay? That because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we have all entered into a covenant. The Bible calls this a blood covenant. I don't have time to explain all of that, but just trust me that it is. We've entered into this covenant with God, and God has given us through Jesus this covenant meal that we eat together, okay? And what Paul's trying to say here is this. Just as Israel would share in that altar at the temple, he's saying now, you and I, as we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup, he says we share in that altar. I hope everybody's grabbing this tonight because it's going somewhere really powerful. And then he says, what do I mean then? that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything. No, but I say to you, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. So the pagans go to their temples and they bring their offerings to their temples and their priests sacrifice to them, food sacrificed to idols, and they eat of that and they share in what altar? The pagan temple altar. Okay. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. That's why we do not celebrate certain things that have to do with other gods. And that includes Halloween. Or any other satanic feast. But it says this, or do we want to provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? So you cannot sit here and take the cup of the Lord and then go out and participate in other temples, Buddhist temples, Hindu temples, Muslim mosques, or whatever it is, witchcraft altars. You're going to provoke the Lord to jealousy and you're going to bring judgment on yourself if you do that. And Paul was talking to the Corinthians because these were a people that had a lot of spiritual problems. And he was saying, he was basically telling them here, you better turn your back on all these other temples where your mom and dad may still go and worship, your, your uh, cousins may still go, and they may take their offerings there, but you now belong to the Lord, and you better forsake that altar, and you better sit at this altar alone. If you sit here with us, and then you go with your family over there, you're going to bring judgment on yourself. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse uh, 23. Let me get to it here. <coughs> Paul says this, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night uh, in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I don't think everybody really understands how powerful it is to proclaim the Lord's death. What that means is you're proclaiming what he did for you at the cross. Not just the forgiveness of sins. Everything that was paid for. In verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick, and a number fall asleep, which means die. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are being disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned with the world. And so we need to understand how holy and how powerful the communion table is, okay? It is proclaiming the Lord's death. Now let me give you about eight things here in the notes that the power of the communion table. Number one is I've just mentioned proclaiming his death until he comes. That has to do with applying the blood of Jesus over your life. I've said this many times, but if even Job, who lived so many years, I mean, the oldest story in the Bible recorded other than Adam and Eve and all of that, but the oldest story, the oldest book, if you will, is the book of Job. I mean, he lived in ancient times, and he lived in a time when, when the head of the home would, would shed blood for his family to be covered under that blood to be forgiven, and Job basically was like a priest of his family. And if Satan himself came to God, in the book of Job, it's recorded, and God said, if you consider Job and Satan himself with others with him said, I can't touch him. There's a hedge of protection around him and his family and all that he owns. Think about that for a minute. If the blood of animals, in faith, mind you, it was pointing to the blood of Jesus one day, but if the blood of animals could bring protection. And then think about under Moses all those years later that the blood of that lamb painted to the doorpost of the home kept the death and destruction out of the home. Do you understand where I'm going with this? There is something about proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes that we bring our lives and our families under the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you there's power in it. Number two, the Bible says, do this in remembrance of me. When we take communion, we are remembering what Jesus accomplished. We're remembering the sacrifice he made for us. We remember the crown of thorns. We remember the piercings. We remember the whipping post. We remember the fact he hung on that cross for six hours. And we remember all that he did. The power of recalling what he's done, the remembrance. Number three, anticipation. It reminds us that we better be ready. When we take communion, I believe it's the betrothal cup in ancient Israel. Whenever a woman was betrothed to be married to a young man, that young man had gone to her father and they worked it out between them. It was a bartering and, and a dowry and all that. But she had a cup of the fruit of the vine set before her, and she still had a choice. She could say, absolutely not, I'm not marrying this guy, and it would be null and void. But when she drank that cup, she committed herself now that she was betrothed to him. She was engaged, and she had to patiently wait for him to go to prepare a place for her, and then he would come as a thief in the night to take her there. 
but that was her betrothal cup. I believe as we take communion, that's our betrothal cup. The Lord has gone to prepare a place for us, but we have to keep in mind that he's coming as a thief in the night. And he could come at any time. And this is the truth. The Lord could come tonight. Nobody knows the exact day nor the hour. You know, all of us speculate. And I think it's, there's something to do with the fall feast, in my opinion. But still in that, we still don't know the exact day nor the hour. And I'm going to tell you that any time the Lord could come, and if we live that way, we think that way, there's a fear of God there to, that we better be ready when he comes. Amen? And then number four, examination. When we take communion, Paul said, you better examine yourself. Make sure that you're right. If you have open sin in your life, you better repent of it. I think about people maybe that come in and they're, they're living a certain way. Maybe they're living in sexual immorality or maybe they're doing something else and they're playing games with God and they come in and then they just want to sit there and just take of the Lord's Supper. Let me tell you, you better be careful because you can eat and drink judgment upon yourself. So examine your spiritual condition and make sure you're right with God. Don't take communion lightly. That's why the Bible says some end up sick and weak and even dying prematurely. Now, I would say this. Don't be afraid of the communion table. Please don't. Because in actual fact, I think it's more like this. When we take time to examine ourselves and we meditate on what Jesus did for us on the cross, we receive the benefits of the communion table. Therefore, we're not going to be weak and sick and die before our time. That's the way I view this scripture, okay? But nonetheless, there needs to be a healthy fear of God, amen? Then number five, it says uh, partaking. One bread that we all partake as one body. You know, we have to understand this. Going all the way back to Abraham, and really even before Abraham, God's always had a people. I think about Enoch and Adam too. I mean, God's always had a people down through the ages that were in a covenant with him. And even before uh, the days of Moses and they had the temple, there were still people that would build altars like Job and, and shed blood in faith that there was a coming Messiah. And so they were God's blood covenant people. Amen. So down through the ages. So what you got to understand, I hope that everybody can hear this today. Please give me your best ear and hear this. When you and I sit at the communion table and we take it together, what maybe you've never considered is this. You are joining with, for example, those that took it when Jesus administered it 2,000 years ago. You're joining with those that, that celebrated Passover with Moses. You're joining all the way back to the saints of old like Job and like Enoch who died in faith in the one to come. God's blood covenant people, when you take communion, it's as though we're joining with the greater body who was and is alive today and should the Lord tarry will be, but all of us are his covenant people. And one of these days, we're going to literally be with the Lord and all of us together with them are going to finish that meal that the Lord started 2,000 years ago. But we're all one body. And I say that because we need to guard ourselves from unforgiveness and we need to guard ourselves from being too sectarian because there are things in the body of Christ that, you know, there's, there's aspects of this right here that there's some people out there that are not a part of the way we do things. They operate a little different, 
but yet they have something with God that we need. And we have something with God they need. And you've got to be careful not to put up walls and divisions in the body of Christ. And one of the biggest walls is denominations. And I'm going to tell you right now that there's a, I know people in particular, there's an individual that um, is a part of a particular mainline Pentecostal denomination right now. He's a dear friend of mine. But his church will not allow people to minister in that church unless they're a part of that denomination. Think about what I'm saying. Therefore, how many people, how many benefits from having those from different types of backgrounds coming in that could bring maybe understanding, that could bring anointings, that could bring giftings in, and that body could really benefit? Yes, we vet things, but they could really bring something to the table. Well, think about, for example, when we have Brother Ihambe come in here from, from the Congo and preach with that strong African accent. And how many, when he prayed for you, how many felt the power of God? I did. But he brought something in here that he has with God. And, he, you know, he's from a different circle than we. And, you know, in some ways, I think about Brother Benny, he, a little bit different circle that he moves in. You know, and, and people, okay, Sergio Scataglini with uh, his uh, Argentinian background. Remember the very first thing he said when he came? He said, this sophisticated accent that I have. Remember that? It's from Argentina. But he brings something here. And I don't even ask and I don't even care what uh, denominational background or affiliation that they're in. I want to know, are they a man of God? Are they bringing the word of God? Do they operate under the anointing and are they living holy? And when they come, when, whenever we come together, okay, there's something really powerful in that. I do my best to vet things. I'm not going to let somebody preach something weird. I'm not letting somebody come in that's in sin or something like that. But you've got to be careful because you can put up walls and keep things out that, God, that your people need. And God knows your people need. Amen? So understand that we're all one body. When we take communion, there's people out there this weekend that we don't even know them we've never met them and they're from a very different walk of life than we're accustomed to and they're going to be sitting at the communion table we're still one with them you understand they're still our brothers and sisters in christ and also the the next one is resurrection life now i want to read this in john six fifty four. John 6, starting with verse 54. Jesus said this, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, now let's just stop and think about that for a minute. Because we can just read that and not really think about what it's saying. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the, the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. Life, okay, let's meditate on it. Eating his flesh, drinking his blood releases some kind of life. Could it be that something the Lord's saying here, that taking communion does something to us in our bodies that releases life and also does something to us that is going to ensure that when it's time for the resurrection of the dead, 
your body is going to be raised. That's interesting, isn't it? Think, read it slowly and think about what I'm saying. Because there's people out there that have never known God and they've never taken Holy Communion and their bodies when they die returns to the dust, all that. But this right here is saying that there's something supernatural that happens to us. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Could taking communion release some kind of life into you? Have you ever thought about that? There was a lady I knew named Fran. And how many remember Fran? Wave at me. We, we met her actually at a church down the road from here. In her 90s, I had no idea. Drove herself there. Was a part of the prayer meeting and the revival we were having. It was powerful. And I preached on the communion table. And she came up to me afterward. I mean, I would have never thought she was in her 90s. I mean, she, she was in her right mind, her faculties. She was walking around. She drove herself there. And she said, I wanted to tell you, Pastor Scott, your sermon really encouraged me when you talked about communion. And she says, I've been taking communion daily for years. And she said this to me. She said, that's, I believe personally that's why I'm in my 90s and I'm still able to get around like I am. Isn't that something? She understood that it released some kind of a life into her. All right, then it goes on to say this. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he will also because... He who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven... Not as the fa- your fathers ate and died, for he who eats this bread will live forever. So there's something about life in this, okay? All right, so the resurrection. And then the next one is sharing. It says, the cup of blessing we share, we share in Christ's blood. And the bread we share, we share in his body. Sharing in that covenant. We share in it. When you take of this what represents Christ's body and blood, and I believe there's something to it. I will make myself real clear so nobody misquotes me. I do not believe in transubstantiation or whatever it's called and where they think it actually is flesh and blood. It's not. Okay, we can take communion, dump some, send it to a lab. It's going to come back grape juice. But let me tell you, though, I do believe this. If you were just to take some Welch's grape juice and you were set it in front of the devil's kingdom, how many knows they're not scared of it? But whenever you present the blood of Jesus Christ, how many knows the enemy does not like the blood of Jesus being presented? It is a tormenting thing to the demonic, and it makes them back off. There's something when we take communion where that, that bread and that juice representing that, the Lord gets in it. There's something powerful about it. And even though it's just bread and juice, it's still in a spiritual sense sharing in the body and blood of the Lord. It says it in the scriptures. It's not that bread that we bless, sharing in the body of the Lord. It's not that cup of blessing, sharing in his blood. Do not we share in that altar? And did you know the book of Hebrews says that we have an altar that we can eat at that the sons of Aaron are not even permitted to. And many may maybe not understand that. I'm not going to belabor the point. But those that know what that means, think about how powerful that is. Because we have a better priesthood. And we have a better covenant. And we have a better altar now in Christ. And the last one is separation. 
1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that God's spirit dwells in you? Some of you young people, for a moment, put your hand over your heart like this. When you accept Jesus as your Savior and you're sincere about it, it's real. Did you know that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you? And people don't really think about that, but you become the temple of God. God dwells in you. And it says this, if any man defiled the temple of God, so what is the temple? You. If any man defiles himself, you defile your body. Him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So you've got to be careful that you keep your body holy and keep it from idolatry, keep it from sexual sins, keep it from all these ungodly substances, keep it from things that would defile your flesh. Because when you come in and you partake of Holy Communion, then you go out and defile your body, you can bring judgment on yourself. Isn't that what the other scripture I've read says? You better examine yourself and take it in a worthy manner. But there's a healthy separation. If you read the scriptures, it says this. For those to sit at the Passover table, for those to sit at Passover, they had to be circumcised. So there was a separation between the circumcision and the uncircumcision under Moses. Okay, is everybody following me? There was a separation. And so whenever it came time to sit at Passover, you couldn't just have just anybody come in. Under the law of Moses, only the circumcision could be there. Now in Christ, when you take communion, not just anybody coming off the street can come in and take it. They have to be circumcised of the heart. They must be born again. They've got to be God's people. You understand what I'm saying? So there is some type of a separation here. Just like, for example, in the Bible, it says not to bring an abomination into your home in Deuteronomy 7.26. And that's talking about idols and things to do with witchcraft and the occult. Specifically, it says that in the Bible. Do not bring those things into your home or you will be destroyed with them. And so you have to think about to yourself, there's something about my home being separated as holy unto God that God doesn't want just anything in my home anymore. I am now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's not going to just let me do whatever. My body is set apart as holy unto him. This church is set apart as holy. We have to guard ourselves. And whenever we take communion, you know what it's saying to us today? That we better separate the light from the darkness. There cannot be any mixture in our lives. And let me say this as well. The Bible says, what is, what is there in common between a believer and an unbeliever? Do not be unequally yoked. And of course, that's talking about marriage. But I would submit to you, I believe it's talking about even close relations, close friends. Why, what is there in common between a believer and an unbeliever? There's not. If you're truly Christ's, you're not going to be able to hang out at the ungodly parties and do the stuff that unbelievers do because you're not going to feel comfortable with it. And if you're really Christ and you're the real deal, those type of people are not going to really feel all that comfortable around you either. 
There is a separation there that God wants in our lives. When we take communion, we need to understand that there needs to be no mixture and we've got to be set apart as holy unto God. Amen? All right, so the final thoughts I have is this. I want River of Life to think about something. And this is mainly now, I'm, I'm closing this, but I'm speaking specifically to River of Life. I want you to, this week, maybe take these notes home and go back over them because there's some things in these notes that are wor- worthy of meditation, if you will. As you go through about proclaiming his death, remembering anticipation you go through these and really meditate on what it means i believe god will give you some understanding some depth to it but i also want river of life i want you to consider something we've been praying for revival we've been praying very specifically about some prayers that we really need the lord to do and god's about to do them and everybody's hear what i said something has changed we all know it And God's the God that answers prayer. And we've been praying for a move of God. We've been praying for different things. And with that said, I'm telling you, there's going to start being more and more people coming in that are baby Christians, that are young people, people that don't know the Lord. Um, They come in here to get saved. And I love those type of people. Those are the ones I want to come. I, I don't want to belabor this point, but I don't want a bunch of religious Pharisees and Sadducees sitting there with their arms folded and wanting to argue with me. I don't got time for you. I love you, man. You're my brother in Christ, but there's about 25 other churches in driving distance from here for you. I want the people coming in that love Jesus and are on fire for him. Amen. And I love these baby Christians, these people coming off the street that don't know nothing because they haven't been ruined by religion yet. So let, let them be a clean slate that comes in and we'll give them the word and the spirit of God and power. But hear me, River of Life. We better understand some things. Number one, we better understand our authority. You're going to have to rise up and understand your authority in Christ. You need to meditate on these scriptures. The Bible says, submit unto God, resist the devil, he must flee. And I believe in the days to come, as God starts doing a new thing, don't be surprised if spiritual warfare doesn't increase. But here's the good news. God's sending forth his host of angels to deliver and protect. I believe that. We are going to be totally fine. But I need you to understand your authority. You don't need me there to command the enemy to leave. I try to lead by example and take authority over the enemy. But Luke ten nineteen, we tread upon snakes and scorpions, overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing shall harm us. And the Bible says this, those that believe, you'll speak in new tongues, cast out devils. You, it's not talking about the preacher necessarily. You will take authority and drive out the demonic. You will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. It's like little Alexa, wherever she is, prays for grandpa today. And God healed him. They didn't hear it, though, in the sermon. Those that didn't hear, you know, a young girl. You know, how many knows the faith of a child? You want to see miracles, just tell the children this. Say, Jesus said, if you'll ask him, he'll do it. Do you believe that? I believe it. Go pray for people. You watch all the testimonies because they just believe. The adults are the ones that mess it all up. You know it's true. At some point in time, we messed it up. 
But anyway, he was, Brother Randy wasn't feeling good. She laid hands and just prayed simple prayer. You know, Lord, heal Papa, help him feel better and have a good day. And he said he felt the power of God surge through him and was healed, got up and did what he needed to do today. But listen, the simplicity of having faith and authority. We need to understand our authority in Christ that we have authority to lay hands on the sick and then be healed. We have authority to drive out demons. And we also need to understand how awesome, powerful it is that um, our prayers. You think, think of James chapter 5. I love it in the, the scripture in the Amplified Classic, which when we put out our Bible here, guys, that's one of the versions we're going to use. And I don't, I can't get this really in the sermon, but just to encourage you guys, I'm talking to somebody on Monday about that. Things are moving forward. But the Amplified James five sixteen, such a powerful scripture. We all know it, but it says this: Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you'll be healed and restored. His spiritual tone of mind and heart. But look at this. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer. You've got to have a heartfelt, continued prayer. You keep asking, keep seeking. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Amen? You need to understand that your prayers are awesome, powerful. You need to understand who you are and what you have in Christ. That you are a son and daughter of Abraham and the oath and blessings given to Abraham are your inheritance and you share in that covenant. You need to understand who you are in Christ. And when these younger believers come in, whatever age they are, as they come in, they need to have a good example here for them. It's important. And I, I tell the young people that I disciple, you know, the grand boys, but also our young people, I've always told them this. I mean, going back 10, 15, 20 years ago, I've always ministered to younger people a lot. But I've told them one of these days, your kids need to see you worshiping. They need to see you reading the Bible. They need to hear you praying. And you need to be an example. Amen. In the same way, when all these young believers are coming in, they need to see you worshiping. They need to see you going after God. They need an example. And one of the things I think Pastor Ralph kind of challenged us, and I, I've thought about this for a while. I believe it. I'll go on the record saying this. I believe the time will come before Jesus Christ comes that the Bible is pretty much going to be outlawed all over the place. I think the Internet will be scrubbed of it. I think a lot of the apps you use on your phone for the Bible are going to be gone. And it's going to be treated as hate speech. You need to get a physical Bible. But listen, these young believers coming in, let me just encourage River of Life to consider this. Why don't we make sure that we start bringing our Bible again and following along? Because here's what I would like to see these young believers coming in and doing. You know what I want to see? I want to see them with their Bible open and having the notes. And I want to see them following along and writing things down because they're learning. But they need to see your, your example and my example that that's what we're doing. You see what I'm saying? 
Just consider bringing a Bible with you and following along. And I'm also going to start preaching more from it. I've always just put literally word for word what's in here in my notes because it was just easier. But I'm going to start trying to use this more because I want the new believers to get a good Bible and I want them to start reading it at home. And when I've, whenever I've taught young people about the Word of God, I've always made them open it up and find stuff for themselves read it, and then write down what it means because they need to learn to not depend on me. You need to learn to read this for yourself and actually get something out of it. I teach people how to pray, but then I tell them, you don't need to depend on me. You need to learn how to pray. You know, I asked Brianna when I was raising her as my daughter, you know, I told her, look, um, I taught her how to pray, and um, we spent some time together, actually, I think, if I remember right, I'm getting older now. But we, we were together, and I would actually go through praying and worshiping together, sitting with him and praying. But I, I told her growing up, I was like, listen, you've you got to do this on your own. You've got to have a relationship with the Lord because I'm not going to always be around. And, she, and she's a prayer warrior now, but she learned how to pray and to do it on her own. Also, freedom in worship. When young believers are coming in, they need to see us like tonight, free in worship. And John 4, 24 says that Jesus said true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And then Ephesians 5, it says this in 19 and 20, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in Jesus' name. Look, there is something about singing and making melody, but I've read this before. I'm just going to read over it quickly. But the Hebrew words for praise let me just read it yada means to extend the hand in worship i mean lifting your hands tonight amen shabak means a loud tone to address in a loud tone you know what that means it means to be loud you know i think about the places you go where it's really quiet and solemn all the time you and i both know it's dead spiritually you know some people have called um seminary cemetery you know and it's kind of sad because that's where a lot of times they learn to be dead. And then they go and pastor dead places. Empty hands on empty heads. Dead places. Anyway, Shabak means to address with a loud tone, okay? Shouting. Also, Zamar. Now, this is going to blow somebody out of the water. There's a particular denomination that doesn't believe in instruments. I mean, how boring is that? I mean, God can still move in the singing, but come on, man. Zamar means to touch as an instrumental worship, and it implies harps and strings and instruments. I don't think King David had a problem with instruments. He played an instrument, and there was always the people of God with the cymbals and the shouts. And they Look, instruments are in the Word. Then the word barach means to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration. Tauda means to give thanks with extended hands. But halal, the word halal means, and that's where we get the word hallelujah, to shine, boast, rave, celebrate, be joyful, to give light, to be given in marriage. And look at this, to be clamorously foolish. It implies dancing and twirling and jumping. So scriptural praise, some would say, well, keep it scriptural. You can't get any more scriptural than this. I mean, it's right here. It is literally the Hebrew word. And it's in their scripture right here. I could read all of it of when it's used in context. If you read the book of Psalms, I don't think that you're going to go away from reading all the book of Psalms thinking to yourself, I just need to sit there quietly with my arms folded. 
I think when you read the book of Psalms, you're going to get from that. Lift up a shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands. Dance. Shout. Praise. You see what I'm saying? And so when we come together, I want people that are getting saved to say, hey, man, these people really know God. You know, they're, they're worshiping, they're praising, and they're going to experience God for themselves. And there was, you know, this last week, I'll tell you something too. I put a real emphasis on the presence and power of God. And I love this. I've, I've had so many things like this through the years. I mean, I've lost count. But I, I remember more, multiple times I've heard things like this. I think of four off the top of my head. But people coming up to me afterward, I've never felt something like that in my life. People need to feel God's power. Sweet lady right there came, and uh, she had just come as a friend. I'm about 90% sure she's Baptist. She had come as a, a friend of a friend who came here because her daughter was in a lot of trouble, and she knew if we go that river of life, God's going to touch my daughter. So they drove from pretty good distance. And you know what? God touched her daughter, delivered her, and she was doing better after she came. But while they were here, we were just praying for everybody. So the Baptist friends just stand there, you know, okay. And I just prayed for her. I didn't think anything of it. And I was about to walk off. But that lady she just was going like this, just going like next thing I know, wham, she hits the ground. Thought, okay, well, we're just going through praying for people. And I noticed everybody later is kind of getting up and they're coming up talking to me. That lady was still out. I didn't pay any attention to it. I was getting ready to kind of leave. And this lady comes up to me and she's just like... <laughs> I have never in my life felt God like that. And she went back telling everybody about God's presence that she felt. Listen, the young people need something like that. And I just, last week, not to say anything, to embarrass anybody or anything, but a young person told me they felt God's presence like a fire in their chest. And they said they had a hard time getting up off the floor. They felt this weightiness of God's presence. Look, let me tell you that God... The Bible says this. Paul said, I don't come to you with just eloquent words. But listen to what he said. I come to you a demonstration of the Spirit's power that your faith will rest in God and not men. They'll, they'll, they may forget the sermon you preach. How many of those young people can do that? How many of you ever had a young person, you sit there and tell them something, and they look at you and you think they got it. And then... <laughs> And then later you realize they didn't hear anything you said. But listen, though, they may forget the sermon, but they won't forget what they felt when God's power touched them. And they'll go out and tell other people, like, I felt God in that place. And I'll never forget, there's so many stories, but there's a, a young boy. If I had to guess, I would say he was between the ages of 8 and 12. But they came with Rosie, you remember? And it was a, a family way out in East Texas. They came here just to really get touched by God. They went to a different church, but they had heard God moves here. And they drove down there really hungry. And I was just praying for people, not paying any attention to whatever. And that young, that young man really got hit by the power and fell out. And I'll never forget because I was praying for other people. And I looked over. And his body was so shaking under the power of God that he was kind of coming up off the ground a little bit. He was just, I mean, under the power of God. And I thought to myself, God's got a call on that young man. God's going to use him. And God is empowering him for something down the road. So, look, people need to encounter God's presence and his power. Not just his word. We need the word, but we need the power of God.
We need to hear the testimonies. Like tonight, many testimonies have been coming up lately of healings. But I think about Randy getting healed this morning at home. Listen, how many knows that God does, you don't have to get healed just at church, okay? God wants to heal you outside of church. He wants to set people free on the streets. Let me get one more quick story, and then we're going to pray for people. So how many have ever done some street witnessing? You, uh, you, you, um, you run into some strange people, some strange things. Is I've done a lot of street witnessing for a long time. And I've encountered some of the weirdest stories you can imagine. But sometimes you get these really cool stories. And we were out in Fort Worth, and a friend of mine and I, we were witnessing out there, and we had a group that we took out. We were leaders over a group, and they were going out two by two talking to people. It was out basically downtown, and there was a lot of people out there that were out there, you know, going to clubs and different things, restaurants or whatever. And we were just talking to them. But this one guy, I'll never forget this because it, was, it started out a very frustrating situation because he didn't speak one word of English. And I didn't know one word of Arabic. <laughs> He's from the Middle East. And I think it was Arabic, but I could be wrong. But I didn't know one word that man was saying. And we were trying to talk to him about Jesus, and he's just, he's just looking at us with the, this blank look. And so finally, we were, we were pointing up saying, Jesus. And he, under, he knew we were talking about Jesus. We knew we kind of got that point across. And then we, we, we prayed. I said, well, let's pray for him, you know. And we said, Jesus, and put our hands like this. And as you know, the power of God hit him in the chest. He goes back like this. And we said, Jesus. And he went, whoa. <laughs> we didn't know a word of what he was saying to us. We didn't, he didn't know anything we were trying to tell him. But I guarantee you, he walked away from that encounter going, Jesus, that was something I felt tonight. That was power. And it made me think about the Apostle Paul. Like, I, I didn't come with eloquent words, but the power of God, that your faith would rest in God. Not men. You know as well as I do, he remembered that. He probably thought to himself, what was that? But we planted a seed. One will plant the seed, another water, but God will give the increase. Somebody down the road will come to him and say, have you ever heard of Jesus? And he'll go, hey, there was this one time. And he'll, I felt Jesus' power. And that person will speak his language and will lead him to Jesus. Amen. But we sowed the seed. God had a plan for that man because what's the odds of him being there that night? I believe that that was a divine appointment. I don't know where he is today, but Jesus' power touched him that night. So, Lord, we thank you tonight for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for sealing this in the hearts of everyone here. Lord, help us in the days to come as people are coming in, Lord, to be the example that they need us to be, not only in the things that I've mentioned here tonight, but also that we live a holy life. And people see something about us that's different. And they'll look at us and say, well, other people may talk a certain way and act a certain way, but these people, they know God. And they don't talk like that. They don't act like that. They're different. There's something different about them. doesn't mean that you're perfect because you never will be. I gave up on that a long time ago. Amen. We're not going to be perfect till we see Jesus. But you know what? 
God wants to see and what people want to see is if you're genuine, if you're sincere. God sees that and people see that. If you're just sincere, you're sincerely trying to live for Jesus and you're being real about it. And so, Lord, help us to be that way. Help us just to be real and have hearts after God. But, Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we're going to pray for some people tonight. We need to move the chairs.